Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Good morning. Oh, technology, that's the hardest part of the morning, I think. Hardest part. Have a little living room conversation here, you know, join the family. It is so good to be here this morning. Um, very much of a role reversal because usually it's my husband standing up here. So I'm not quite sure how I feel about that, but it's good. We're going to roll with it. I'm excited to be here. Um, about five or so years ago, maybe more than that now, I don't even know. We were at the Plant Church Mawa on staff and there was a core group of people here in West Milford that got together to pray and said, God, what are you doing here in the community? And to be a part of that initial prayer and initial heartbeat and then to fast forward five or however many years it's been to be here and see all of you in all of your faces, it is no surprise that God says, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I have big plans. And so um, it's good to be here with our plant family this morning. Uh, it's all about Jesus this morning, right? So quick shout out to what he's doing already. When Pastor Andrew and I were talking about me speaking here a month or so ago, a couple months back, he was like, I don't care that you preach that day. This was not the original day. But he's like, but I have to tell you, we're ending our series on Unshakable. So it's your job to land the plane on the series. How do you feel about that? No pressure. I got this. No pressure. Well, that's been in the back of my mind. And today I am at my house getting ready. And he texts me saying, hey, praying for you. It's going to be great. I actually have to cover for Rob at the plant Mawa. And so, you know, just want to say good luck. Everything's set. And, um, and I'm like, Wow. That's so crazy, God, you're moving puzzle pieces all over the place, but you knew. And so I texted him back and I said, hey, guess God's landing the plane for all of us. Now, if that wasn't a kicker enough from what originally was said, he responds back to me and says, hey, thanks for that. That's total confirmation. I was going to use a plane story to kick off my sermon today. Thanks for that confirmation. And I'm like, God, all right, we got this. You are the pilot. And you're going to come land this plane for us this morning. So would you join me in prayer? God, you are so good. You are our father. You are our friend. You are our Lord, and you know each person in this room. You know me. You know us intimately and deeply to the deepest, farthest parts of our being that we don't even know exist yet. But God, you're leading us in our walk with you. So God, would you make your word come alive to us this morning? Would you speak to us? Would you do something new as we agree together that you are the pilot and with you we are unshakable? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so as I mentioned earlier, we are finishing up our series on unshakable and you've been talking about religiosity. I don't know how many of you perhaps have felt um, a little bit of unrest or maybe some weeks have been a little intense. I know you've been diving into certain topics like hardness of heart and how we work through that and God created me a clean heart, a soft heart. Let me, let me be, be able to respond to you. 
Other things like confession. Lord, this is where I am. This is who I am. This is what I have to surrender and give over to you. I know you also talked about religion versus relationship. And what does that look like? It's not about just the things that I, I do, but it's about who you are. So today I have a question for you as we finish out this series. You ready? Oh, I get a few head nods. You guys are good. Without coffee, you're even good. Has your faith in someone or something ever been shaken? Think about it. Has your faith in someone or something ever been shaken? Now, I told you about four or five years ago, Omar and I were here, you know, with a core group of people, but we were on staff at it, the plant church in Mawa. And at the time, I was in children's ministry, a little Snapchat of our life. I had my three beautiful girls, but I was eight months pregnant with my fourth girl on the way. And so I felt a bit of unrest and intensity as I woke up that Monday morning, because I'm thinking to myself, okay, I am going on maternity leave real soon, and there are a lot of things that need to be done in children's ministry. I got to get the volunteers in place. We're having an Easter egg in two months that I have to get ready for because I won't be here. I'll be on maternity leave. And my mind is going and going and going. So I was like, all right, I got this this morning. I'm going to get up. I got up. I got myself and my children socially presentable to the world. We get out the door. I grab my um, my laptop bag. I grab my purse with the rest of my world in it. I grab the box of Easter egg tchotchkes that I need to take to the office. And I waddle to the car, get my kids in, and we drive off, get everybody where they need to go. Then I get back in the car and I say, okay, coffee, right? Anyone in here like a good coffee in the morning? So, oh, yeah, so off to Starbucks I go. And I grab my decaf coffee, you know, eight months pregnant. But, hey, it's got to have a pick-me-up somehow. It's just the idea of it, right? So I grab my coffee, put it in my coffee holder, continue on the road. I park in the parking space, and now it dawns on me. Okay, eight months pregnant, lots of stuff in the car, really don't feel like waddling back and forth like two times. I got this in one shot. So what do I do? Sitting there. Okay. I am going to take my laptop bag and put it on this shoulder. I'm going to get my big purse with the rest of my world in it, put it on this shoulder. I'm going to scooch out of my seat, press the button on the minivan that opens the back door. Any shout outs to minivans? Mom's in the room. You know we like that button. We get in the back. I pick up the box of Easter egg tchotchkes rested on my baby bum table. And then I reach my arm back into over the driver's seat, grab my decaffeinated coffee, pick me up for the day that actually has no pick-me-up at all except that I have to actually pick it up and add it to my pile. I get out the door, hip-check the door, and waddle my way to the office. I won't explain to you how I got in, but I did get in. I didn't drop anything. I put it all down in my office. <sighs> it's only 9 a.m., and it is so unrestful and a high-intensity day. So I get to my office, lots to do, like I said, planning for the Easter egg hunt, getting volunteers. So I sit down in my chair, and I start typing away. A little while later, my husband walks in. Hi, honey, how are you? Hi, honey, okay, love you, have a great day. And he goes upstairs to his office. Mine is on the lower level. So I sit back down. I keep working. And 
I'm like intense in my work, not noticing anything else. And then bam, my husband comes running down the stairs. What happened? To his surprise and mine, he finds me flat on the floor where my now broken chair has left me. There's a picture. Of course, the thought going through my mind is, sure, leave it to the lady who's eight months pregnant to break the chair. Like, go explain that to the staff and the next person that comes in. Now, to my defense, to my defense, this chair, as beautiful as it was, was a refurbished DIY chair that came from an estate sale. It was beautiful. It was black. It had pretty floral reupholstered stuff on the seat. I love this chair. But I was a little shaken at the fact it left me on the floor. I was left speechless. Today, I want to take you through our last journey. Our journey with Jesus in Mark chapter 12, if you have a Bible. And as you know, things get a little shaky when conversations, conversations start happening with Jesus. He'd been talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Today, we're going to see what happens when he comes to face-to-face with a teacher of the religious law. So, this teacher of religious law comes up. He hears these debates going on that Jesus is having. So, he stops and he says, you know what? Let's see if I can shake Jesus up with this question. Starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Here, this leader of religious law tries to shake Jesus up. All right, you've been answering really well. You like know your stuff, but you're challenging, on a, you're challenging us on some stuff. So let me ask you this. Out of all of them, what's the greatest? Well, here's a little background info about um, the leaders of law at the religious time. Did you know there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament? Think about that. 613. In the Jewish culture, there was a lot of memorization of, of, of these laws, Right? Well, we're not just gonna, we're just gonna read them. We're gonna like know them. We're gonna meditate on them. Well, out of these 613 laws, there were 248 positive do this. The other side, there were 365 negative 
don't do this. 365, that's right, one for every day of the year. Not only that, I don't know about you, but it makes me think of me as a parent living with a toddler for 365 days. Please don't climb on the table. Please don't stick this stick in your mouth. Please don't do this. Please don't take the Sharpie marker and write it on my wall. Don't, don't, don't. It's exhausting. Can you imagine how they felt? It's exhausting remember, remembering all these things. Not only that, they had traditions, feasts, festivals that they were to practice, to gather, to practice together. It's exhausting. So, Jesus, what would you say is the greatest? And Jesus, unshaken by this question, responds in verse 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God and with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than this. Jesus replies here. Now, this is the part where I get excited. Jesus replies using words way back from Deuteronomy 6. He takes a phrase, a command, a phrase that's been cemented in the minds of these Jewish leaders. This portion of scripture that he took out of Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. The Shema was recited by Moses as he met with the Israelites before they were entering the promised land. He said, wait, 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 wait. Before I take you in there, there's something that I need you to Shema. Hear and obey. Hear, O Israel. Because I want you to remember where you came from. I want you to remember that you were slaves. I want you to remember who brought you out of slavery, who's provided for you here, who has led you by fire and cloud, and who is with you now, and who promises to lead you to the promised land. But I never want you to forget when you get into the promised land, and everything is good, and everything is great, who you serve, and who should still be your first love. So this is called the Shema. And you can see it can mean hear. It can mean listen. It could mean pay attention. This is important. But it could also mean hear me and respond. I'm looking for a response, which is also likened to obey. Listen and obey. Actually, in Jewish culture, this is recited twice a day for thousands of years in the morning and when you go to bed, kind of like when you brush your teeth. At least I hope you brush your teeth morning and at night. Same thing. They would repeat this. So it was constantly on their minds morning and night. So here you have these words that Jesus is speaking that everyone can relate to. Their Jewish culture, their their ideal of memorization, saying it morning and night, this is really important. Jesus is simply repeating it back to them. So what happens in verse 32? The teacher of religious law replied, well said teacher, but I only asked for one. You awake? All right, good. Do that to my kids sometimes. Well said teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. 
And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. So the teacher says, well said, but then the teacher kind of just like repeats what Jesus said. Anybody in connection with like toddlers, two, three, four-year-olds, they like to repeat things a lot. You know what I'm talking about. You know like kids say the darndest things. I have a four-year-old and one day she responds by saying, that's so inconsiderate. Where'd you get that word from? Like inconsiderate. She was three at the time. I was like, three-year-olds do not say those words, but she's repeating what she hears. She also has begun to say, she like confesses out loud. Like imagine if we lived like that, like things would be so much easier. I'm going to confess it to you. I'm going to get it over and done with. She comes to me one day and she says, mommy, my brain wants me to say a bad word, hate. I was like, oh, well, you know, like there are a lot of other words we can choose other than hate. Like if it's a food, we could say we kind of dislike that. Or, you know, if it's a friend, you know, you never want to say that. You might just say, I just might need some space right now. But we can ask Jesus to help us with the words we choose. So we have that conversation. A couple days later, time goes by. We're driving in the car and she's sitting in her chair. I'm driving. All of a sudden, mommy. Jesus, help me not say the bad word hate. Well, yay, Jesus, good job. I guess you were contemplating life in the backseat of the car, and you were going to say you hated, I don't know who, me, or I don't know what. But Jesus made you stop. I will applaud that. Thank you, Jesus, for showing up. Well, it's not till a couple days later that you realize how deep the understanding of Jesus' power and authority goes until it's 9 a.m. in the morning and your little four-year-old comes to you and says, hey, mom, Jesus says I should have cookies. Yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. Like, you're in my house today. Future will be in Jesus' house, but today these are my rules. Really sorry. Sorry, Jesus, you have all authority, but not for cookies at 9 a.m. But she's starting to grow an understanding that Jesus knows me. He knows what I think. He knows what I feel. He can even help me out. Get me some cookies at 9 a.m. Almost. But I'm so proud of you, honey. So here you have the teacher of religious law, and Jesus, right? He responds and repeats what Jesus says pretty much, but puts his own little words on it. So what are they agreeing on here? They're agreeing, yes, I know this. You speak the truth, right? So the the teacher of religious law is affirming what Jesus is saying. Yes, I am the very religious teacher of the law. You are saying truth. Well done. I'll give you that. You're saying truth. We are, to, we are to say that God is the one and only. And then I know, I know, it is important to love God with all my heart and all my soul, all my understanding. Notice he doesn't say exactly verbatim. Exactly. But he's giving you the idea. And of course, to love my neighbor. Did you know, Jesus? This is even more important, actually offering all the burnt offerings. You know, like, let me just one-up you, Jesus. Here you go. Here's another fact of the matter. 
I love this because as I, as I try to put my own, like, okay, God, what are you really trying to say here? What is the relationship you're having between Jesus and this teacher of religious law? It's like, oh, that didn't go the way we've seen it go in the past with all these Q&As. Like, Jesus kind of, like, stuns us. He shocks us. But Jesus agreed with me. So, okay, well, let's keep going here. I know all this. This is great. But as I'm reading it, I'm realizing, what about this whole Shema, the hear part, the hear and obey part? He doesn't repeat that part. Now, maybe that's just missing in the text here. But the fact that he never says, I know I'm supposed to Shema, hear and obey, the hear, O Israel part. And, but I know it's truth. I know it's truth. And I know it involves my whole being, heart, soul, mind, strength. And I'm getting this idea of like, okay, this teacher of religious law is now trying to stand on who he knows he is. I am a teacher of religious law. I have memorized many of these laws. I can repeat them just like Jesus repeats them. And did you know this is more important than the burnt offerings offered? I know my stuff. I am the religious leader. I know this. Like, maybe I didn't stump Jesus, but like, we agree this is great. Okay, so there's no challenge here. It makes me think a lot about the religious leader's, like, self-awareness, his self-concept. How familiar are all of you with the word self We live in a culture of self, right? Self-improvement, self-love, self-help. I was actually reading an article in Forbes by the author Mark Travers on self-help books. Listen to this. When someone writes a self-help book, their goal is to sell to as many people as they can. So self-help content is often oversimplified and sweetened with a false sense of hope and meaningless pats on the back. This is why so many people feel they can relate to these books and feel happy while reading them. It's essentially toxic positivity. Well, what is that, you say? Great question. Toxic positivity is closely related to the concept of unrealistic optimism which is a type of bias that happens when people assume that negative events only happen to others and that they can control the future based on their present actions. Anyone ever feel like this is how you're living with Jesus? Based on my present actions, this is going to get me somewhere in the future. Maybe I'll get like an extra gem in my crown. Maybe like I'll get a good pat on the back. Like, man, I'm doing all these great things, right? Based on what I'm doing today, what I'm doing today, what I have to do, I'm self-reliant about, it's going to get me closer to Jesus because I'm doing it. And now I'm reading the text in a totally different way. Like this religious leader, he knows and he knows what he's doing and he knows what he thinks and he knows where he's trying to go with Jesus, trying to make him unshakable. But Jesus says, I'm here. I'm present. You're not going to shake me. It honestly 
got me thinking a little farther. It got me thinking about my shaky chair. It got me thinking how many of us, how many people are living in this world on shaky chairs of self-everything and they have no idea that there is an unshakable Jesus willing and ready to respond right next to them. Because we're too busy sitting on our self-reliant chairs that will break. We didn't put ourselves here. He did. And I love Jesus. I love his posture. If you don't know Jesus, get to know him. Because he knows you, every part of you. He knows what you're angry about. He knows what you're frustrated with. He knows your joys and he knows how to bring you joy. He knows how to give you life to the fullest. And he is here. And when you leave these doors, he is with you, waiting for you to respond to him. And I love Jesus. I love how he responds in verse 34. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, the religious teacher was all about traditional religiosity. This is what I can do. This is what I know. This is what I should do. And this is what everyone's going to see about me because this is who I am. Jesus is all about transformational relationship. He says, that's good. And we can agree on the things that we say and the expectations that God has and his desire for us. But are we doing it? Jesus knows rules and regulations are not going to draw people closer to himself. But he knows relationship will if we choose to respond. So as I read these words, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's as if Jesus is saying, you are not far. I'm right here. You're not far. I'm right here. Don't you, Shema, hear me? Pay attention, Shema. Listen and obey. I am right here. You can rest in me. You don't have to do it. What struck me most about my broken chair experience was actually not that it broke. It was shocking. I definitely didn't expect it, right? Like, you don't sit here thinking any minute I'm going to fall down on the floor. You don't think that. What shocked me the most was the fact that I never once, not once, it never crossed my mind. I never second-guessed the second chair I sat in next. Not once. In full belief, I just picked up another chair and sat down. I never went up to the chair and said, hey, let's make a deal. 
or I got a debate, or um, the last chair fell apart and it broke, so how about this? Let's make a deal. If I agree not to like put my feet up on you or spill my coffee on you, you promise to hold me up, right? You're not going to let me down? But don't we approach God like this? Listen, things in this life are going to be shaky. Things in this life are going to be things we don't understand. But Jesus says, rest on me like you rest on your chairs. Anytime you're sitting down, I pray God haunts all of us with the idea. You don't have to second guess me ever. I will hold you up. I am holding you up. Even when your day feels shaky, even when things are happening that you don't understand, I am the unshakable God, and you rest on me. I've got you. So, just as we can wholeheartedly rest on chairs, we can wholeheartedly rest in the presence of Jesus. And that's great. But we're not there yet. Like, there's still this phrase that Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus knows not only is it about transformational relationship, but it's about generational impact. Okay. I know I'm on chairs a lot today. I'm sorry. So are you. You're sitting on one. We're all in this together. But it makes me think, I never explained to my children to have confidence in a chair. Hey, kids, this is a chair. This chair will not break, I hope. You can trust this chair. Just sit on it like this. You can trust it. No. How did they learn to use a chair? They watched me. It involved no words. Maybe like, hey, I don't want you sitting like this on a chair. Please turn around and put your feet on the ground. Those kinds of things. We instruct our kids in the ways of the Lord too. But I never taught them how to trust a chair. They knew because of how I was in relationship with my chair, for lack of a better word. And so they sit on the chair because God's heart from the very beginning has been generational impact. Okay, now let's bring it all together. You ready? So Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why? Hear, O Israel, have you forgotten? You are my chosen people. You are the ones I chose. You are the ones I love. You are the ones meant to show who I am to the world. It's not just about the Jews. It's not just about the Gentiles. It's not just about the Plant Church West Milford. It's not just about your neighbors outside your door. It's about every nation, tribe, and tongue that doesn't know him yet. That Jesus says, go into the world, be my people, love me, show my love, my unshakable love to the world, that others may rest on me too. 
That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for generational impact. So church, we're meant to show who God is. God wants to know, us to know, that he's the one holding us up and he invites us to Shema. Listen, hear, respond, obey. And I don't know where you're at today, but we're gonna head into communion. And I wanna invite you to think about some of these things. And I want you to process them and ask yourself a question. Am I resting on the one who is unshakable? Because when I rest on the one who is unshakable, I am unshakable. So I'm not sure where you're at today. <clears throat> but maybe you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I know there's a God, there's a Jesus. That's why I'm here. I'm kind of like trying to figure it out. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm present. I'm unshakable. I can take your debates. I can take your questions. I can handle your confessions because you're nothing without me and I will carry them all for you so you don't have to feel the weight. I am present and I am unshakable. Come to me. If you're in the world of like, yes, I am in relationship with Jesus, but it's hard. He's either doing a lot of transforming that I didn't even know needed to things that needed to be transformed, or I'm going through some really rough patches. And I'm thinking to myself, God, are you here? Do you see what's happening? Can I really trust you? And he says, rest on me. I don't move. I am unshakable. And when you rest in me, you are unshakable. And lastly, if you're thinking to yourself, God and I, we're pretty good. Like, I'm ready. What does that mean for you today? Well, he calls you to be an unshakable presence in the world because you are resting on him. Share it. Be that unshakable presence. Let the world see that God loves you. He chose you. And he's there for everyone who doesn't know him yet. Today he's calling you to Shema. Respond. Listen. Hear his voice. Because he speaks to each of us differently. I'm not God. And I know right now, you're either thinking, gee, I can't wait to go home and take a nap. Or you're thinking, Jesus, there is something happening. There is something I feel, and maybe I can't make sense of it yet. Or maybe, Jesus, you are speaking something to me. I exactly know where you're hitting me on today. And if you are in any one of these three places... And Jesus is shaking you up so that you can remember to rest on him who is unshakable. 
I invite you to take a stand. Make it real. Stand up off your chair of self-reliance and realize Jesus is present and he is unshakable and he is ready for you. Take a stand and say, Jesus, you are the one who is unshakable. I'm going to stand up because I have not been resting in you. I've become shakable. And that's not who you called me to be. So I'm going to stand to remind myself I do not have to be unshakable. Or no, I don't have to be shakable. I can be unshakable because I'm resting on you. And if you're in the third one, stand up and say, Jesus, I'm ready. Let's do this. You love me. You chose me. And you want to use me to show the world who you are. Because they're sitting on a lot of shaky chairs. And they have no clue that Jesus is present, willing, and ready to respond. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. We never have to come to you afraid. We never have to come with you with our head down. You're just saying to us a constant reminder, Shema, hear, listen, obey, and you tell us you are not far because I am right here. So God, with our eyes closed today, I ask those who feel a little bit shaken, those who feel like they want to respond to you today, whether it's Jesus, here I am, and here you are. You are unshakable. I can come to you for anything. Or Jesus, I want to stand up and I want to remember this relationship I have for you. Or Jesus, ready or not, here I come with you into the world. Jesus, I invite those you're tugging on the hearts of to stand. Make this declaration. Make this wholehearted commitment that was being made way back in Deuteronomy 6. May we make it again today. Jesus, if you're stirring us, help us stand for you. No matter what we're struggling with. Because you are unshakable. Thank you for meeting us here today. And I pray these words over my church family. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. This is where I lay it down. You are all I'm chasing now. This is my surrender. Jesus, I pray today we choose to shema collectively, listen and obey. And individually, we are wholeheartedly committed to you and an unshakable Jesus who wants to make himself known to the world. And all of God's people said. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.